Hi guys and welcome back to You're on Crackmate, the podcast that's dedicated to films, television series and whatever takes our fancy really, analysing and reviewing them to the point where we've been told flat out, you're on Crackmate. This week, I hardly need to welcome back this guest because, quite frankly, show have you ever actually left? Like... I did have to take a bit of a sabbatical after World War Three erupted in the last podcast with our lovely special guest star, Will Leahy. Um, so I've had to just kind of sit in the corner and cry for a few weeks while gathering myself up for coming back on the show. That That, that is true. I, I, I like that as well because we have an, an on-topic kind of pause, but also regroup because we're going to stick with the... The franchise that used to be three films, then it was six films, then it was a rabid fan base that wanted to kill everyone who'd ever made a film. Um, and then came Solo. And this yeah. film, it certainly is a film. This film really kind of... Like, like there's a lot we can say about it, obviously. There is a lot we will say about it, but it's just, it came along... At, not only did it come along at the wrong time, it was released at the wrong time as well. So it's pretty much a kind of a forgettable movie. Um, that's, in, I suppose, in, in several ways. Like, like this film is released six months after episode eight, like episode eight, which completely broke the fandom in two completely. And mm -hmm. there, there was no such thing as I like episode eight. There was I love episode eight. There was none. There was no, ah, I don't really like episode eight. I absolutely hate episode eight. And all that kind of thing. And so that was bad enough as it was. And then Avengers Infinity War came out, which was an absolute global smash. Really? I've, I've never heard of it. No, I, not a lot of people have actually, strange enough. I don't know how it's actually got the worldwide box office. Because like I've, I've spoken to four people and four people haven't heard of it. So I've no idea where they got this money from at all. I didn't realize um, you'd spoken to two more people since the last time I was talking to you. The... Um, Look, with the release of this film, what I really didn't understand was there was no tentpole movie at all for the Christmas that Soda came out on. There was nothing in the cinema that Christmas, as far as I can recall. And like episode seven was Christmas, Rogue One was Christmas, episode eight was Christmas, and then Soda was May. And you're kind of there going, why not just put it at Christmas like all the other bloody movies were? Like hindsight is... is, is... Uh, kind of thing. So I, I was having a look back about this and I saw, I think Jedi was a summer release as well. Because in theory, like summer blockbusters can do well. Now, I totally agree with you, especially because of the way the franchise had fallen, which was Christmas movie, Christmas movie. I think as well, the vacuum left by the Harry Potter franchise. Now, obviously we're going back a couple of years, but but that had really given us it wasn't obviously the first franchise to do it, but it really given us that big Christmas blockbuster. You know, this this will be the big one that people will be talking about. I think you could probably say Lord of the Rings had done that as well. And that's just 21st century. So you have the release of Force Awakens, which I believe they had to redefine what making money meant when that film came out. And, and Rogue One then, which I think is, well, we, we will get to Rogue One, but very 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 strong film then you had last jedi which was we'll 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 get to last jedi but it's exactly what you were saying people were still digesting last jedi when this one came out and i think it would have benefited as well from a little bit of distance away from last jedi because last jedi was received so um um violently by some there's, people 
it was it was violently received by all parties because if you hated it then there was enough violence kind of towards the film itself if you loved it there was violence towards those who didn't love it as much as you did and things like that so basically it was an extremely violent movie i think what didn't help solo as well as there was a lot of behind the scenes controversy as well about it and there was a lot of concern about it and that's coupled with what was going on with episode eight like it really was not a good kind of leading for it at all like with the original directors lord and miller when i was doing a good bit of reading on it i think i sent you on a couple of articles like they were saying that you know like it was a lot more kind of relaxed they were saying that the lads would do multiple takes and like when ron howard came in they'd only like ron howard took over as director of course they, he only needed two or three like there was the reports that an acting coach was brought in for Alden, is it Ehrenreich? Or? That's, it's, and yeah, I, I, I will die on that hill with you. I believe it is Ehrenreich. Um, and like yeah. an acting coach was brought in for him, but people were like, from what I read, like the initial reaction was, oh my God, the guy can't act. What the hell is going on? But it turned out it was, they had an acting coach in to help him kind of channel his inner Harrison Ford a bit more. Mm. And then like as well, like, you know, with Disney, they want to bring in kind of almost unproven directors, people that they can kind of push around in their own way. Mold, like, yes, exactly, yeah. Rather than a kind of a, an established director who'd say, this is what I want to make, get the hell away from my project. Like, like you, we'll see it when we discuss Rogue One as well with uh, Garrett Edwards and like what happened there with, um, Jesus, I can't remember who, who, what the director is who kind of came in to give him a hand towards the end of it. But there was just too much that was kind of in the kind of the press in the media about how the film was struggling. And also the question is, I suppose, and it's a question I'll pose to you straight away. Was this a movie, was this a story that needed to even be told? No. Do you know what I, well, all right, I've already said no. So let me elaborate. This, this would have been, and I know the original intention was obviously that it was an anthology film but did it need to be a theatrical release? No, I don't think so. Not, and maybe a bit of, actually, again, I'm thinking out loud, but maybe a bit of hindsight adds to this. Now that we have the Mandalorian and we have the Bad Batch and these kind of things, I think that this would have done very well, you know, on the on the smaller scale, on the Disney Plus scale. I mean, like we've seen Mandalorian. I don't think it would have suffered much in terms of effects and it still would have looked fantastic. But one of the nicest things I'll say about this film, and I truly mean this, is that I, I certainly don't hate it. I, I would even go so far as to say I don't dislike it. Um, but there is just a kind of an overall sense of, well, he's going to get the Falcon. Chewie's going to get out of there. Um, you know, I've never heard of Kira before, so probably not going to see much of her after the things like that. And that's, I suppose this is something we covered a bit when we did the prequels as well. There are certain pitfalls to doing a prequel is that you can't surprisingly kill off your main character unless you're doing time travel. And um, there's no sense of peril with them either because you know they're going to survive and everything's going to be fine. Exactly. You know, which is, you know, by all means, trauma, trauma, trauma. Who doesn't love a bit of trauma? But so that that is, but that, but that's inverted. That's not unique to this film. That is just a problem that all prequels have. Having said that this is not a problem unique to this film, that is something that when you know you're making a prequel, you do need to address that. Like yeah. there's a couple of moments where Han is in, you know, kind of mild death-like peril with other people. And I was watching the other people going like, well, you're all safe. 
you know, th- things like that. It's like, yeah, that, well, that ship is clearly not blowing up. And put your action sequence in, but I'd nearly deliberately move Han over to the side so that your other characters, you don't know how they're going to get on or, you know, you, you can actually feel a little bit of peril there. So that is my one suggestion that I would make to uh, Disney. And I hope that they're listening. Actually, I hope they're not listening. I'm sure there's a cease and desist letter on the way if they are. Um, the, I think it, as well, like it, it's kind of like when I watched it back, like as you said, I don't think in the movie you can hate because it's not really kind of like an ideas movie, if you know what I mean. Like in the way that a lot of people hated The Last Jedi or loved The Last Jedi based on the ideas of the movie. Like with Solo, it's just basically a bit of action adventure and things like that. And we're not really too kind of concerned about the outcome because we kind of know what it's going to be. And I guess the result, like, it's fine. I watched it and when I watched it back, when it ended, I was kind of there going, I wouldn't really ever have a desire to come back and watch this again. Like, not out of, you know, hatred of the film. I just find it quite bland. I find it quite boring. And I'm kind of there going nothing really here for me to kind of watch i think as well like one of like look everyone kind of knew that probably uh, han soda was going to be uh the obvious character for an anthology film but it's very hard to replicate 1980s harrison ford in the same way like it's very hard to replicate replicate freddie mercury's voice like it's very hard to you know copy a queen song harrison ford in the 1980s, it was this incredible mix of, you know, charm, anger, annoyance, uh, you know, kind of intensity and all this. And it's very hard for anyone to match that. And like, that was my, was my, probably my biggest concern about it was they were going like, because, you know, we'll all naturally draw comparison between course, yeah. characters and things comparison like that. Comparison to Harrison. <laughs> Actually, strange enough, our own uh, Jack Rayner was down to the last tree in the going for the role of of Han Solo. Oh, do you know what? I mean, as much as, and I will discuss um, Alden at, at length because I have opinions, but I can kind of see Jack Rayner. Obviously, I'm a bit biased. I like Jack Rayner and yay Irish, but yeah, I can kind of see it. For anyone who doesn't know who Jack Rayner is, look, check out the film Midsummer. Um, it's a horror movie. I think it's on Amazon Prime. It's absolutely brilliant. He's in it's it. on Netflix, actually, as well. Netflix UK. Um, oh, yeah, right, okay. yeah. It um, is stunning. But like, just in terms of in terms of casting, that we obviously probably the most would talk about would be all the One thing I had an issue with, is, like, is um, like when I saw Donald Glover playing uh, Lando Rizzi. I was kind of like, I didn't really know a whole lot about Donald Glover at the time. Um, oh, okay. In recent times, I've, I've watched Atlanta. Have you seen Atlanta? I've not seen Atlanta, but I am watching Community for the first time. So I, I'm not sure if that was his first gig or... I think it was, like, but if I would strongly recommend watching Atlanta if you can. And if anyone's listened to this, if you haven't, find it. It's on Disney+. Plus. Two seasons are there. Uh, they've just finished, finished the third season. It's absolutely brilliant. It's um, He is... He plays the, I think he's first cousin with a rapper who releases a hit song and he becomes his, his uh, manager slash agent. And it's just about their kind of trials and tribulations. It's, it's brilliant. But when you watch that and you see how good he is and he writes and directs a lot of the, a lot of the episodes and things like that. And then you watch this and you're there going, he's just doing an impersonation of Billy G. Williams the whole time. And you're kind of there going... Like in the same way, I say Carl Urban specifically did an impression of Doctor McCoy in the Star Trek movies. 
whereas, say, Chris Pine did his own Captain Kirk, Zachary Quinto did his own Spock. You'd prefer someone tried to do their own interpretation than just a straightforward kind of just a kind of impersonation. Do, do you know what that is? I I might say that might be a little bit harsh on poor L. Carl Urban, but I absolutely <laughs> take your point. I do because he is he's, oh, he's no, definitely happy, and and it's I'm, fun. I'm not saying Carl Urban just an impersonation. Say he'd obviously put his own stamp on the character as well. Yeah. That's that that's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As as you know, could as we talk about this, Carl Urban from The Boys is now on his way around to the house. No, um I I don't know if I'm gonna necessarily disagree with what you just said. Um because maybe I just really enjoyed uh what Donald Glover did with Lando. And you might be dead right, because he is very Billy D. Williams. Uh, he is, and he's very kind of like that kind of 80s cool that probably is not safe these days um like there's there's things billy d's lando was probably doing that you're like ah that's that's probably not gonna fly today um but i did i liked the i liked the interaction between himself and is it l337 right l i just have l3 written down here i can't remember is it longer than that but i know it's l3 anyway l3 so um and I really enjoyed their banter because I am a huge fan, although I, I wasn't at the time. So this is based on rewatch. Huge fan of Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I have since watched Fleabag. And so... It's supposed to be quite good. It's, after, it's very, very good. It's on... Yeah, I think like that, it's on Amazon. It's well worth a watch. It's thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, very irreverent. And you kind of get that within a droid boundary... She's just playing herself in as as L3, which I thought worked really well in her interactions with Donald Glover. Can I just ask you a question on L3 since you brought her? Because I actually had a point here to bring up about L3. I was a bit uncomfortable watching L3 from just the point of view of she makes points about, you know, robot liberation, about people being, you know, robots being treated the same and all this kind of thing, right? But it's kind of done from a point of view of humor, as if you're supposed to, you know, you're to laugh at this person and this person's ideals. But then you're there going, but they are fair ideals. Like, so I was kind of there going, so are they actually making fun of this person calling for, you know, kind of fairness and equality? Yeah. Or- and then what is she? She takes the restraining bolt off one and she goes, you're free, go. Um, actually, funny enough, that, yes. By the way, because that is uncomfortable. I did a list before where number it was worst fates in the Star Wars universe, and number one was simply being a droid in the Star Wars universe because they are all obviously sentient, and yet they're every so often they just ah wipe their brains. Um, yeah. and even now it's suggested that obviously that Lando does love L three, but he can't even he makes jokes. Ah, I'd wipe her mind, but I'd like her too much. It's like, so what if she annoys you? You're going to delete her memory. Um, and things like that is it's they, the problem with droids in Star Wars is they made them so charismatic yep. you know uh, like Star Trek had measure of a man to address this exact topic you know Star Wars has just been like uh-huh delete the memory <laughs> um, and even I'm her old. final fate is a bit grim not only is uh, spoilers I guess I'm assuming you've seen this film uh, so not only is her body destroyed, she's uploaded into the Falcon. So that's, you know, one thing. The Falcon is then taken by Han Solo. So 
that whole Lando L3 relationship is just, yeah, no. You think he would have even taken like the computer core or something? Like when we discussed episode three the last day, um, and a certain guest there annihilated me for complaining about certain callbacks and things like that. <laughs> like the second you met L3 and she, sorry, not saying you met L3, the second you see L3 on the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and you heard her processor, and I was there going, I remember just sitting there going, wait a second, that sounds like the processor on the Millennium Falcon. And I remember thinking, well, for God's sake, they really just say we need to explain, you know, why that sound is there. So we're going to pretend, you know, and I was just like, oh, for God's sake, we don't need this level of callback in this movie. Personally, I found L3 incredibly annoying. And every scene with her, I was there going, please, the scene end as quickly as possible. She didn't speak to me at all. I know she's, she does speak to other people. You obviously enjoy her. I couldn't, I just could not get into the character at all. Um... Okay, I've lost about five of my points there, my good points for the film. No, okay, well, look at that. But that is interesting as well because of how, and this is going to sound like the most fence-sitting response to this ever. Isn't it interesting how people react differently to different characters and and all, all as well, uh, moving on. Well, no, well, moving on, but not moving on. Um, I do think that, and while we will obviously discuss Rogue One in greater detail next week. I feel Rogue One had the much stronger robot psychic, even as much as I do like Phoebe Waller-Bridge and I do like L3, uh, K2SO, were, because they were released really effectively so close together, mm. I much, much preferred K2SO. Um, maybe it's because... Um, oh, no, uh, his name escapes me now. Alan, uh, Alan Tudyk. Tudyk, yeah. Tudyk, thank you plays him as a robot that's right so even though i love phoebe waterbridge I, I i realize i'm kind of like you know kind of sean did show say something you didn't like it now you're backtracking badly but uh <laughs> i kind of i kind of i can kind of see where you're coming from i may not entirely agree but i can mm. see where you're coming from i i'm not saying i agree that you didn't like uh l3 <laughs> to round out the casting um Woody Harrelson, I think, is always dependable no matter what you put him in. I really, and in fairness, I, I thought he was quite good in this as well. Yeah. I, I think this film was um, another attempt by Hollywood to try and get Amelia Clark into movies uh, in the same way with the Terminator film. And I feel with the Terminator film in this, they failed. Um, there was no chemistry whatsoever between herself and Alden Ehrenreich at all that I felt I couldn't that- feel anything at all there. That's fair. Uh, so I, I was initially, I was like, right, hang on now, Sean, jump to her defense. No, that's fair. There is no chemistry between her and Alden. I like Kira as a character, but I didn't like that it was, let's get a love story in here, one that didn't turn out to be a big swindle because she wasn't, I didn't get that she was swindling him. I thought if Dryden Voss, excuse me, was still alive at the end of the film, you know, she might have gone off with Han. It was a very kind of jarring kind of reintroduction to her because you meet her at the start and their plan is let's get the hell off this planet. Mm. Then he gets off and he goes to the Empire and all that. And then like, you know, he meets Woody Harrelson's character. They do one mission, they meet Dryden Voss, there she is. And you're going, whoa. She, and the thing is, she looks like she's established, she's made it, she's got out and the whole lot. And you're kind of there going, right. So Han's whole thing about going back and saving her 
is kind of gone now because she's already gotten out. You're kind of there going. It's not like she's gotten out, but she's she's kind of in a bad way or something like that. Now, look, maybe emotionally, kind of she is and all that kind of stuff working for a criminal. But it's just, it, it just, it almost feels weird. Like in, in times of watch the film, when you see him encounter her, it's almost like, well, your whole motivation for what you want to do is kind of wiped out almost immediately with this. That's problem solved. Um, do you think that successful or not, the switch in her storyline was a way of trying avoiding, say, the damsel that needs to be saved trope with her? Because... Um, if, say, it had continued that he has to go back and find her and save her, I mean, damsel in distress, there it is straight away. She's the Rapunzel. You know, she needs to be saved from the tower. And what they did with her is they sort of took that element out, and yet she still kind of needs to be saved. It's funny. My partner was saying to me recently about, um, like, Reese Witherspoon and her production company and making movies and tv shows and adaptions and all that kind of thing and she was kind of saying that she wanted to move away from the whole you know the heroine in the film you know constantly waiting for the male hero to come along and the female yeah. hero saying, oh what are we going to do now it's funny we watched um uh the world is not enough on the weekend i'm so sorry and, and lorraine kept saying it to me she kept kind of every time that uh christmas jones was it uh, whoever <laughs> Denise Richards was okay Denise Richards, Denise Richards, that's it. And she says, and she literally said at one point, she turns to Bond and says, what are we going to do now? And I was just there going, sure, God, it's complete right. Ever since, like, you know, well, look, I've always thought that female characters in these movies are always massively marginalized and so is the male hero that has to save them. But with this, no, I think you're right. I think they do kind of remove the damsel in distress thing uh, from the movie. But again, it's kind of like... But in the end, it comes down to Han solving the problem. It comes down to Han, you know, killing Dryden Voss. Uh, or no, who, who we saying no, Kira kills Dryden Voss, isn't it? Kira kills Dryden Voss, yeah. It's it's sort of, I think it's a good, it's a good L switcheroo because it does look like for a second, has she been working for Dryden Voss this whole time? And then there's a good couple of switches. And then I do like overall what they did with Kira. I it's funny enough, I think I can't remember if I said this to you before. So um, it is with the greatest of shame that I have to say that I was late to the cinema that day. So I got wow. quite, yes, yeah. So I got quite the surprise when I stuck on solo to watch for this pod and I discovered that Kira and Han knew each other. So I was quite you... late to the cinema. I got there when he was on the ground with Tobias Beckett. So have you not watched solo since then? I have not watched solo since then. Actually, I, I'm actually nearly, sorry, I, I went, I think opening day, I went, took my nephews. I don't think I watched it fully again until I was doing this podcast. That, that's how kind of little I kind of say to myself, I want to actually watch this. Actually, strange enough, just in that point when you just mentioned it, I just started thinking about, did you find when you watch this movie, it's an incredibly dark movie and that- It is. Thematically, it, I mean, in terms of you have to turn the brightness on your TV up very high to even be able to see the bloody thing. We actually, so I I went to the cinema to see this with my good friends Darren and Katie, and I remember the three of us sitting there going, "Is there something wrong with the screen?" Um, and it was it was annoying. It was very very annoying, particularly all of the scenes with uh, the introduction scenes for Beckett and his crew. I found them quite hard to watch, and some of the Castle Run stuff. Obviously, when the storm kind of starts, it, it does it brightens up a little bit, but. 
Otherwise, yeah, it's really bloody hard to see what's going on. All the stuff at the start as well, the stuff that you would miss in the cinema, like it was dreadfully hard to see. You're right. I, I do recall just not being able to see any of that. Um, uh. <laughs> Actually, just in the very last um, bit of background of the film, do you remember the poster controversy that hit it as well? For Solo, I can't remember. I remember there was the Force Awakens poster controversy, but no. There was, no. There was posters that came out for the movie. There were individual character uh, portraits um, for like Han, Akira, Lando, Chewie, Beckett might have had one. I think it was a French jazz mu- musician, or I think it was like a, it was something to do with a French artist anyway, but they had uh, posters for jazz or something. I, I think it was jazz anyway. I had it all noted down, but they basically had the exact same stylized uh, poster. And like when you actually look at them side by side, they're basically the exact same thing. Effectively, Disney ripped them off. Like they just took the idea and just amended it. Like if you see the posters, they're completely the same. They're hugely the same. Um, so there was again, it it was just another thing that didn't help the you know the background making the movie because it was just just dogged with controversy from the start. Actually, before we get into the discussion about the story itself. That's one thing I wanted to check with you, right? So, look, obviously with movies like this, and the same with the starter movies, I suppose, as well, is that the thing is they'll always kind of feel the same. They'll always kind of be the same and things like that, right? When you mm. look at even Star Trek Four, where they go back in time to bring Humpback Whales into the future, while it's a fish out of water, it's still, you know... <laughs> or a whale space. out of water. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> But do you think, like, this movie is, you know, it feels by the numbers, right? And it's fine. And it's, it's, it's not, it's not nothing memorable. And it's not something too forgettable either. Do you think this would have benefited from seeing what Lord Miller would have actually completed and how different it would have been? And would it have been, if it had been too unique, would people have been saying, no, we want the same thing we always get. But with a lot of reaction we've seen online is it's the same bloody thing we're always getting. So the question is, should this film have been the same thing we were always getting and something we were expecting, or should it have been completely madcap like Lord Miller wanted to make? That's a hard one because my my brain, first of all, went to, well, Last Jedi was different and look at the reaction to that. But they weren't like, they, the, the, I think Solo was more or less in the can by the time Last Jedi hit theaters. They were in kind of post-production. Yeah. Um, so it's certainly, I think Ron Howard had come on and done his reshoots and everything by then. Um, so it, it's a really interesting question and there is definitely a what if to be said but Rian Johnson love him or hate him did his own thing for Last Jedi and it stands out and even if some things stand out for the wrong reason in Last Jedi um, it's very very unique Rogue One for example which again spoiler I liked Rogue One um, is much closer to A New Hope in terms of style, uh, yeah. obviously, but like, but within reason, apart from the fact that yeah, we'll, we'll get to Rogue One, we'll get to Rogue One. This one, do you know what? Again, even though it came before, to bring that comparison into the Mandalorian, I think stylistically, it's great. It's definitely a part of the Star Wars universe. And that is one thing that I have to say, Star Trek, I'm sorry, please don't excommunicate me, but Star Wars has done better is have a consistent uh, look and image throughout all of its different uh, iterations. 
again within reason when it comes to things like rebels and clone wars because there has to be artistic license for animation um when i was reading about lord and miller and what went on it sounds like yeah it could have been a great almost comedy film which i think would have been really good i think it would have worked very well for star wars because star wars has always had a bit of comedy to it whether it's in solo's character or you know c3po things like that i think if they had leaned into say the kind of the the zanier elements it could have been a better standout not just kind of awful as this will sound okay how would you rank the movies okay so starting with solo which I think is maybe unfair, but I think a lot of people's lists might begin that way, even though it should always, the bottom one should be Attack of the Clones. No, yeah, sorry. Actually, do you know what? I take that back. Attack of the Clones no longer deserves on the bottom because we have Rise of Skywalker. I would have said because we did Last Jedi, but anyway, hey-ho. Hey, that's going to be a good, discu- good discussion. But say, for instance, right, Taiki Waititi. I, I, I can't pronounce his name. I, Taika I, Waititi. That's it. He said that I think the Star Wars script that's being written for him, he said it's very him. And you're kind of there going, okay. right. So we've all seen Thor Ragnarok and we've seen how completely bananas and off the wall it was and all that. And you're kind of there going, will people accept like an absolutely massive tonal shift away from, say, you know, these kind of straightforward movies? What you said about Star Trek is interesting because... I remember reading before somebody making the comparison between Star Trek and Star Wars, and they were saying that at the time we only had six movies, and they said that by and large the whole you know Star Wars universe is created by George Lucas, so it's always going to feel the same. With Star Trek, it's completely open to different interpretations, and that's what kind of keeps it fresh, makes it interesting. I'd actually prefer this, like you know, I prefer the Star Trek universe specifically as a result of that, because like as much as I might have problems with Discovery or Lower Decks or the Kelvin movies they look different and they're because they're designed by different people and as a result then there are different paradigms or different shifts different even how corridors look doors open things like that it's, it's all kind of different but I suppose with this then is what will people accept in terms of a tonal shift like are they willing to accept like a out and out comedy in the Star Wars universe or will they kind of say no we don't want that we want something like Solo but people didn't really respond to this film I don't think so I think even and maybe maybe disney plus could benefit or be a benefit for the the franchise here because when solo came out you know we had we had the films you know the light-hearted one they had tried to do before was the holiday special you know uh that one that was a blatant cash grab though oh it was yeah this was you know lads Hamill, Ford, Fisher, read your contracts. Um, and yes, Itchy and the rest of those Wookiees. Anyway, moving on. And then this came out and it was... It, do you know what? No, it wasn't different enough. It was just a kind of a get us over the hump to the next one. Yep. And it didn't. Um, and I think that's where some of the not altogether unjustified criticism came from was just was there a point when it landed was there a point to this now i've already made the point i think it would work well maybe as a mini series you know smaller scale now that that's become more commonplace in the house of mouse 
Whereas I think Rogue One benefits from theatrical release. And obviously, even much as I cannot wait to go knives out, lol, on Rise of Skywalker, that needed a theatrical release. You couldn't, you shouldn't have done that on the small screen now. No. There's many other things you shouldn't have done with that film. Make it, for example. Um, but well, I think the problem with this, with this film was always going to be is that, you know, looking at the story where they were going, right, like, he's going to survive this anyway, so we're going to have to tell a story about him. We're going to have to, you know, give him his background. And then it basically just almost descended into, right, all the callbacks. We have to go through everything. For some reason, we have to find out where he got a surname from, which is one of the most ridiculous things I have ever, ever come across in a movie. Mind that one life. did not work. It did not I, work for me. So the things we're going to have to do, number one, okay, surname, I don't know why. Two, he had to, he had to win the Falcon, right? That's fine. We can't That's fine, that. yeah. yeah. The, the Kessel Run had to be in this at some point. He had to meet Chewie as well. Their relationship had to kind of develop from there and things like that. There was, in reality, like when you think of it, the entire strange thing is the entire character arc that this film is based on is effectively Han learning to shoot first at the end of the movie and basically trust no one, right? However, that no longer makes sense in the overall context of the Star Wars uh, movies because in the new movies, Han does not shoot first. He's talking about, about, he talking about Han shot first. Exact same time as Greedo. But when you actually think of it, right, the like his interaction with the well, the initial antagonist who ends up being a protagonist, Enfys Nest, is almost the same as like his interaction with Luke Skywalker. He kind of turns like he's just you know he's doing a job for Luke. He just you know wants the money. Then in the end he you know has a heart of gold. He says I'm going to help you out. And in this the same thing. He gives Enfys Nest all the the coaxium, and he kind of helps them out. And you're kind of there going, but like. One of the things I was hoping might see in this movie would have been a hard edge to him, like because like he's a smuggler, like he, he he lives in a very dangerous galaxy, and I was there going, I'd like to kind of see a gritty side to this, but like if he's always helping out people, he's not really a smuggler, like he's not really kind of like you know kind of a a man who lives his life on the edge, like like we've only seen two really of his adventures, and basically he's a good guy in both of them. He is. There was, I think the the train heist uh, when he drops the cargo is, I mean, it's obviously a, a clever joke for, you know, Jabba goes, oh, Jabba has no use for a smuggler who drops his cargo at the first sight. But then, in fairness, if Jabba had done any background on this guy, yeah. I'm like, oh, well, he's just going to drop it then. Like, you know, kind of don't, hopefully this guy is not going to be, you know, your main smuggler because you're going to have supply issues. Yeah, that, mm, there are some bits which, some bits some bits, excuse me for swearing there, uh, where in isolation it works in the film. Yes. But then knowing where Han ends up, there's now a missing film where everything has to go, where we're missing his Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, you know, exactly. where, you know, because he's too, yes, he shoots Beckett, but Beckett clearly deserved it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas this arguably so did Greedo, not arguably. So did Greedo, but when it's Greedo, it's more of a, oh, Han's a bit dangerous. Whereas this, it's like Han is doing the universe a solid by removing this terrible piece of scum and villainy. And the way it happens in the movie, it's clearly designed to shock you in terms of like, it doesn't show him pull the gun out. I think it's kind of almost like point of view from Han 
and you just see Beckett in front of him. Yeah. And Beckett gets shot. And you're kind of there going, I'm not surprised. This is clearly going to happen. He was clearly going to shoot. Because, like, you've done enough callbacks in this bloody movie. Like, the, you know, a hand shot first was always going to come up now at, at some point. And this is clear. He wasn't going to shoot Kira. So that's all he was going to do. Like, you're kind of there going, like, come on. Like, this is, as you sure. said, there's, there's a movie missing here. And, like, there's a gritty movie here. And, again, it's not a movie that Disney would ever make. It's a miniseries that should be made um, that we won't get. Yeah, almost definitely. Almost definitely. Like where Falcon Winter Soldier went a bit dark, um, and Wanda went a bit thematic, thematically dark. Disney Plus hasn't gone dark yet. No. Um, and you know, like if they were free to do it, you need to kill Chewie. You need to do something that really kind of goes, oh, hang on, maybe there is no good in this universe. That kind of breaks Han a little yeah. bit. Because, and even, like, in isolation, I like the joke, I've got a really good feeling about this. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah, we get it, we get it, we get it. But what happens in the meantime? Because it, 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 there's no... I'm sorry, just for I'm not talking expanded universe for the moment because I know absolutely bugger all about it. But, you know, hands years between... You know, I don't think there's much backstory, or if any, given in the original trilogy, is there? That is weird. No, I, I think as you're saying, the problem is so much of the, like, I, I know, like, I think the original plan was that Han would have been rescued by Wookiees and would have been raised by Wookiees himself. Mm. But the problem is, is absolutely everything in the expanded universe is gone nowadays. And, like, everything in the comics currently is apparently canon, but let's be fair about it. It's canon until something is uh, developed for the screen and then it'll be gone out the window straight away. So there's nothing really kind of you can say is canon unless it's actually been shown on uh, in the movie, in, on t- in TV shows or the movie itself. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It is, it's... On the one hand, you can't be slave to decades of expanded canon, which is contradictory. And this is as true for Trek as it is for Star Wars. Um, you know, to kind of it, to stand in the way of a good story. So that is one thing that I do believe. Now, before I am torn asunder, I also like when you have decades of material out there to do what, and I'm, I'm sorry, because I do, I, I do like the House of Mouse, what they put out, um, to just go, none of that exists anymore. It's a bit like, ah, lads, that's not necessary. What we can talk about that's, that is good is I did enjoy the soundtrack and I did enjoy the main theme, which John Williams did. I did enjoy mm. that piece of it. Um, I kind of didn't think I would, but I actually found the movie quite kind of, especially like in certain scenes, I thought the music during the, um, the Kessel Run and the, um, on the Stealing of the Quaxium at the start when I just Ness encounter, I thought that was very well done. Yeah, no, I like it. It's John Debney, right? think so yeah uh, no I, I i'll say i did like that because you have your obviously your williams inspired score um which i thoroughly enjoyed um and it's both it's obvious enough because like one thing in fairness star wars has always done well as music uh, yeah. even the the soundtracks that haven't been as good are still generally miles better than the average movie soundtrack 
So, mm. and again, that's largely thanks to John Williams, um, who must be protected at all costs as of the recording of this episode. Um, whereas for this one, that was, that was a bit jarring was the fact that they, um, in the Kessel run, they were reusing the music from the asteroid chase from the Empire Strikes Back. And so, going, yeah, there's a few. Actually, I caught that one in the credits more so than anything else. It was, you know, uh, Hans theme and Millennium Falcon theme. I think it was called or something, you know, written by John Williams, adapted by John. It's like, yeah. What I liked actually was the Imperial March in a major key during the recruitment section at oh, the start. Yeah. I was like, oh, see, that's a nice twist on it. Something like that. Um, so you get your, you know, your familiars while having a bit of a, a bit of a twist on it. And again, to bring back your favorite film for a second, Last Jedi, um, as they're escaping on the Falcon and they're flying through the crystal bits, that's all that theme as well. I think that's, I can't remember now, is it the uh, trench run or is it the asteroid chase? But anyway, it is a kind of a copy and lift of earlier music. And that was, of course, Williams himself. So he's allowed to do whatever he wants because he's Williams. In terms of special effects as well, there was a lot of it in this I thought was like the entire train sequence, I think just looks unbelievable. Like I think very, the, very good. Yeah. I think it looks incredibly re- I, I really enjoyed like, even the explosion when the explosion takes out half the mountain. It looks on like it really looks bloody good. Like I, I looked so I was now credit to IMDB here. So the actual explosion looks great. They had an explosive they base it on explosives underwater. Uh, and what that would look like and the way it kind of expands and then sucks back in again, which I thought for one looked incredible. And I love the way the mountain doesn't blow apart. It collapses. And I loved that. I have to say that looks brilliant. And the uh, Kessel run as well, the entire thing, it just looked, it just, it just looked brilliant. It really did. Like it was just really well done. Like Actually, there's another thing. This entire film exists to make up for Han's misspeech in A New Hope because a parsec is a unit of distance not a unit of time oh Jesus Christ like like again that's a, you know and look that's it I have to do it I'm just going to go through the callbacks because I have the list <laughs> here alright let's let's do I'm this sorry. slam a tequila let's do this guys I have to go through all the things that they're clearly going we have to reference this because okay right so anyway his surname no idea why the hell they had to do it but they did it right how he won the Falcon. Again, we knew that was going to be inside him. His blaster had to be explained. That one, I was just like, lads, come on. Really? Come on. Yeah. Um, this massive thing that Lando has in his capes, granted, I kind of got that was for kind of more comedic effect more than anything else. True. I, did, um, I have to say, I did enjoy that one. His cape room. The, um, the four-legged pilot fella on the train heist, I can't remember what his name was, uh, he was on about a Minoc roast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Minox had to be referenced. Um, Kira mentioned Scarif at one point. Yes. Uh, why not? Uh, somebody says Bantha crap at one point. Is there going to not just think of something else? Does it have to be a Bantha? Um, doesn't serve our kind. I'm pretty sure L3 says that. So again, you're, ca- you're calling back again to the whole thing from uh, uh, New Hope. Yes. The hollow chest board had to be put into effect again because that wasn't done in the uh, in the Force Awakens at all. No, uh, Beckett's disguise when they go down to the planet is Lando's disguise from Return of the Jedi. Um, Kira uses a Tarascazi move. I don't. Yes, I know, but only because of again, thank you, IMDb for that one. So it's a computer game that was like a, a fighting game, like a Street Fighter game, was absolutely terrible. 
Um, you've got a gonk droid, of course, inside there because there's only a couple of you know designs of robots in the whole galaxy. Uh, the restraining bolts as well. And then, of course, the very last one is at the end of the movie, uh, Han mentions a job on Tatooine. Uh, of course. Uh, of course. Um, some of them I thought like, because... I, I, I love callbacks as much as the next one as we were talking about just before we start recording I love lower decks you know you could sit there with a pad and paper and you should because it's fun and the amount of callbacks and flashbacks and easter eggs you'll get so I, I am a fan of easter eggs but and I think we mentioned this before uh, I blame it wasn't the first to do it but I choose to blame Christopher Nolan for this which is Batman Begins the bit when Bruce goes downstairs and he opens the cupboard to reveal the costume hmm. and Hans Zimmer takes out the eardrums of everybody in the uh, theater. It's the, this isn't a mask. It's the bat mask. Are you paying attention? And as I say, he was not the first one to do it, but that was one of the ones that stuck in my mind. And so when we get things like, you know, kind of, well, Han so low. Yes, thank you very much. We got us. It's the name of the film. Like um, sitting around the writers' room right now, bit of that, like nobody just said, lads. That's an absolutely stupid idea. Can we just leave that one out? Like I don't know anyone who who has ever actually said that was a good idea. That was a great line. Like it's it's universally kind of no. There's nobody pointing that. It's it's just a stupid line for no reason. Like yeah. Yes, it is, unfortunately. like, And also, uh, sorry to fans everywhere now, Han Solo is a dumb name. Like, if you have to sit there and go, how do you get this person? I realize I've just lost half the audience. But, you know, he's not a dumb character, but he is a. it's like, it could have just been Mr. and Mrs. Solo. Like, they didn't have to do something like that. So when you have to then go back and explain why somebody has the name Solo, uh, do it better than this. <laughs> um, going into the movie itself from a story point of view what did you enjoy don't yawn now stop yawning uh, yeah uh, what did I enjoy I, I enjoyed the tease of the Crimson Dawn um, okay. I enjoyed I wish we had more of it but I, I did enjoy that um, I didn't particularly enjoy Corellia um, there wasn't really a lot to enjoy really um, I did enjoy uh, Empress Nest because obviously it's like, you know, we're the rebellion. We're just not called that yet. You know, so fine with that. Um, you could almost imagine that the lead Empress Nest is a little young Mon Mothna. Emphasis. Nest. Emphasis. That was, yeah. Yeah. This film sticks with you. <laughs> um, I... I liked the fact that Kira took off in the ship and, you know, she's Crimson Dawn. Again, just give us a little bit more of it. I liked it as a story point, but it was a bit like, well, we don't really have time to digest this, do we? Um, Dryden Voss, he was kind of generic baddie, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I like Paul Bettany. Um, mm. But so the nice thing I'll say about that is I really like Paul Bettany in this film. Um, God, I'm I'm starting to search now. Um, I'm go I'm I'm gonna take potentially people's ire or apathy and say I really liked Alden. He was never going to be Harrison Ford. It's just Harrison Ford can't play Harrison Ford anymore. Um, 
but I thought he was fun. I thought he was likable. I I cared if he what well, we knew he was going to survive, but if we didn't know he was going to survive, I feel I would have cared if yeah. something happened to him. Um, and I thought he did a very good job. I thought it was. I didn't think it was as much of an impression of Harrison as I think potentially you did. Um, I oh no 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 not at all. I don't think he was trying to do impersonation of him at all. Oh, okay, because it's it isn't possible to do an impersonation of Harrison Ford. You, it, you, you it, can't like. It's a bit like someone tries to do Jack Nicholson. Then all they're doing is oh that's someone being Jack Nicholson. Yeah, in the uh, same way, somebody impersonating William Shatner, they're just they're kind of just copying certain tropes of his, like the you know the way he talks. About things. Hmm. Not really kind of trying to, you know, it, it's just kind of time, you know, playing into the whole um, uh, um, caricature of him, really, and kind of actually trying to kind of, you know, impersonate his work. Um, no, I'm the same as you. I, I, I thought Alnair did, did, like, he did as best he could in the role. I think he's just hamstrung by trying to take on that kind of role. And That's, yeah. Like he's, you know, he's very likable. Like I thought he had a good relationship with Chewie in the film. Like I thought there was a good few kind of throwaway lines and the kind of misplaced kind of arrogance of him and things like that. But, you know, like it, it's tough to watch at certain points when you're kind of there going like, and you think of say Harrison Ford in the, in the Empire Strikes Back going into the asteroid field, like where he's basically there going like, I'm just about in control of the situation. Everyone shut up and leave me alone because it could change at a moment's notice and I need to focus. And there's just something about him, the way he can do it and the way no one else can. So watching this movie, if you haven't watched this movie, and I wouldn't know why you're listening to the podcast first. Yeah, you've got pretty far this episode if you haven't watched the movie. But if you are, it's like you really have to say to yourself, almost treat, try and treat like it's a different character. and that it's Because look, I ran into the, trap myself of you know you just compare certain situations to Harrison Ford's Han Solo but like in terms of the film like I thought the the stuff with the Empire I thought was brilliant I thought I really enjoyed that I love that you're just dumped into it in this stupid planet that you know no one even knows what it is like and they're just you know it's a real gritty kind of fight like I love the fact that you know your hand is just on the ground and he picks himself up and you just see a walker getting dropped off like and um mm total chaos like and you know they're he basically says what why the hell are we trying to win this war like and like no one has an answer and it's just it's it's you know it's about the futility of war and things like that and i just thought it was really kind of well done um the what really i enjoyed about it is that it it felt like like when you like you said anthology movie earlier on and like when anthology movie you kind of feel that it shouldn't it won't be connected to the main story rogue one was massively connected to the main story. Yeah, yeah. This movie was not connected to the main story. This movie was an anthology movie. It's just a movie set within the Star Wars universe. And I like the fact that like Dryden Voss isn't trying to you know take over the galaxy. He's not trying to destroy a world. He's just a gangster. He just wants money, and that's all he wants. Like, and I really appreciate the fact that that's what it was. And the ending conflict, it didn't involve, you know, like massive fleets of ship against a doomsday device. It was just a bloody fight inside the office. Like, that's all it was. And that's all it needed to be for this kind of movie. Like, and again, I, I smiled and laughed now. It's just fight inside of the office. Damn it, Dryden, get away from the printer. <laughs> 
And like, you know, even like while we saw stuff to do with the, like one of my main criticisms I have of Star Wars is it, it's just constantly the dark side versus the light, the Empire versus the Rebellion. Yeah. And, but in this, while you had the Empire, you didn't really have it in terms of, they weren't necessarily the antagonists, like, because you see them and hands working with them. And then you see them. The next time you see them is when the Falcon is trying to escape the, um, uh, you know, the Kessel Run. And they, you know, the star, the star destroyer is coming towards it, and like they get the hell out of there. Like that's all it is. So there was no Empire versus Rebellion. There wasn't really anything to do with the Jedi, with the exception of Darth Maul appearing at the end. So I really enjoyed the fact that you know it was a much smaller story, mm. much more kind of tightly confined. The only problem is though, is at the same time, it's an incredibly safe movie. It's not trying to offend anyone. It's not trying to do anything different in the way that, as we discussed. Lord Miller may have been trying to do so as a result while it's got a lot of positives they're positives for a bland movie rather than you'd love to be able to actually Jesus I was about to say you'd love to be able to sit here and say there was positives and negatives on polar opposites of the scale and if I was to say that I'd be Ryan Johnson and I'd be defending episode 8 and I'm not going to do that nah. I'm not going to make that comment on oh episode. guys I can't wait till we get to episode 8 I really can't uh, because that is going to be violence. Um, <laughs> but um, okay, so I think that's. Uh, I suppose you, you've mentioned there the last thing that we haven't really talked about, uh, which is of course Thandi Newton is in this film for about four seconds. Absolutely, yeah. And I had I had forgotten when I went back to watch it again. I was like, oh yeah, and then realized immediately why I had forgotten. Yeah. Um. So she's in it, by the way. But yes, Darth Maul. So this is the big fan service of the film, is that Darth Maul comes back for a hologram cameo and Ray Park uh, plays the body, but Sam Witwer, who does the voice in the animated versions of him, he does the voice of him this. And there, it's funny, right, because not having watched a lot of the animated, for me, I was watching it going like, huh, he doesn't sound like Peter Serafinowicz. Uh, but which, of course, I, I realize now uh, he is very much in the minority of playing Maul as opposed to the majority. It is very much Sam Witwer's character now. Um, any need for it? Like, if this is what we discussed when we discussed episode three, is that you're, you're getting, like, if you just watch the movies and you sat down and watched Solo and Darth Maul was there, you go, wait a second, he's dead. Like, go and Kenobi cut him in half and left him to, you know, fall down a massive you know, pipe in, uh, on Naboo. And you're, you're kind of, again, going back to the thing of you have to watch so much to be able to enjoy a movie. Like, after I watched um, Solo, I was there going, oh, wow, Jesus, must be loads of episodes of this must watch. And I was there going, I'm not watching a whole bloody series to understand one cameo. I'm just not doing it. I'm just, it's, it's too much. But like, as you said, it, what's the point? It, it's all down to what happens next. Like, will something happen? I've seen people on Twitter, like, make Solo 2 and I'm just there going I can guarantee there's no appetite for that whatsoever like when they no. announce all their recent plans there's no reference whatsoever I think if I'm right all they're right sign a contract to portray him in three movies but of course like if you had a different Star Wars movie and he was in it that would qualify as well like that's how um, I remember long before well not long before but before Infinity War um Samuel L. Jackson had signed a contract to appear something like 10 or 11 times as Nick Fury. And at the time, people were like, oh my God, like 
this is amazing. So many films. It's like, no, if he comes in and goes, hello, that's one of them. You know, uh, so I would look, I would be happy seeing Alden back again, but I just don't know where it is now in terms of what story you'd want to tell. I think what's happened is like almost immediately after this came out um, and because we were still dealing with the fallout from uh, episode eight, it was 18 months between Solo and episode nine. And like everything just fell off a cliff completely. Like, like no one, no one cared about Star Wars in those 18 months. Like, like, you know, like, like people aren't going to play with bloody Star Wars action figures anymore because there's nothing really kind of, you know, there's, there's just no appeal with it at all. So they came out and said, we're going to have to, you know, look at our policy of releasing movies and all that kind of thing. And they took time away. The Mandalorian was kind of, you know, basically keeping the entire, entire Star Wars universe kind of, you know, propped up on its own because basically everything else effectively failed. And like when you see what they want to do now, like obviously they've taken stock and they're there going, well, like, you know, all the Marvel stuff is succeeding on TV. So that's what we're going to start doing. And we've got to diversify the movies now as well and try and do more. So I'd say if they looked at Solo, they were going, we'd only be going back to look mm. at something we've already seen. And like most of the reaction to this movie was by and large, look, it was fine, but it wasn't really a story that needed to be told or that people really were hugely interested in it being told because there's there's nothing specific in his backstory that were there going oh god like what happened you know like was there this whatever all as you said earlier on it was all about basically him doing the Kessel run and that was it and that's really what this entire film is so there's nothing really to go back to because again we know he's going to be fine if they make another two movies Han Solo is going to be absolutely fine like so but the future of Star Wars, I can't see them coming back to this at all. I really can't. I just, I just don't know what would be the point. No. it. I think at the end of it all, I think this movie was more or less, they put it out because, uh, get that out of here, will you? Um, which is a bit harsh, I know, but because there'd been so much of everything we've, we've talked about today and it was just sitting there, they could have done the big tentpole. They could have made it the Christmas. I don't think they wanted to. At the end, I think they just wanted it potentially to put out the brush fires of Last Jedi. Actually, that could be a good point. I it could have been the case that they might have had discussions about moving to Christmas, but that episode eight was so badly received. I think the case could have been Jesus Christ, this this film could be humiliated altogether. Like, mm. and they didn't ready made excuse in terms of well, Infinity War was still out, like, and you know, current against that, which is their own product because it's yeah. all Disney. So, like, I'm not going to say it's a missed opportunity. I just think that the plans were, like, they got control of Star Wars, Disney did, and the idea was, let's get as much content out as quickly as possible. We're going to make a new trilogy. We're going to make these anthology movies. And it was kind of all these new characters. We're going, well, like, let's bring back one that everyone knows about, which is Han Solo, which is the obvious one to go with. They just did it, and then they realized, okay, we're making, we're, we're, our reach is, uh, is extended beyond our grasp, whatever that catchphrase is. And it's just kind of like we can't we can't keep doing this. It's not sustainable. We're getting good success with Mandalorian. That's something new. We need to look into new stuff rather than retreading on ground. Like it, it's like you'll never see um, John Boyega or Oscar Isaac ever in a Star Wars product ever again. Like, honestly. yeah, I think like to be fair, to get them into a film, some their families would have to go missing with a little mouse shaped letter left behind, going, you know. Ha 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 ha! Appear in the sequel. Ha ha. I think as well, it's a, a kind of a case that the like, I just don't think 
they'll ever touch it again. That story, I don't think in the near future they'll want to go near it because it's just it's too raw. It's it, like even now, like I don't think anyone can kind of definitively say how those films are going to be viewed in twenty years, like because it's it's almost mm. like they're it's almost like it's kind of an element of shame associated with them at the moment, like. No one wants to talk about episodes eight or nine unless they're me and you who'll be doing that in the next coming weeks. But like, but of course, we like no... pain, so you know that explains that. Yeah, actually, just sorry not to talk about it, but episode nine, if that wasn't a Star Wars property, I don't think anybody would be talking about it in 20 years, to be honest. I think because it's Star Wars, people will be like, you know, oh, I got the box set and nine, <laughs> you know, a bit like I'm, I'm a big fan. Um, terrible as some of them are of the Halloween franchise yeah. but I'm not watching Resurrection again anytime soon <laughs> um, but I think that might be a place to park uh, just for today because I think now that's about as much gloom as we can we can get out until we get to say some of the really bad films like Empire Strikes Back um, <laughs> but for now show thank you very much we will of course be covering rogue one i think will be the next one we look at after this which i think might be a slightly more upbeat episode um you look like you've just sat on a cactus um and where can people find you online if they are looking for you sir um i have to get you to stop asking me that in the podcast because i i don't think anybody wants to be exposed my brand of retweeting uh, I am on Twitter at Joseph Hurley, which Sean always spells wrong. Not the last couple of times, but only the twelve times before that. You have done it at least twice now, and I think I I didn't I, I think it was, could have been three times actually. I decided to be polite and not correct you. <laughs> do you do you hear the abuse I get, guys? Do you hear the abuse I get? Well. Listen, guys, thank you very much for stopping by and listening to our episode of You're on Crack this week. If you agree with us, let us know. If you disagree with us, go listen to a different podcast. That's totally fine. You can get in touch with us by following on Twitter and Insta at Sean Ferrick. That will get a message through to me straight away. If you enjoyed what you heard, please consider following the podcast and myself on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash Sean Ferrick, where you will get early access to the episodes and a chance to peek behind the curtain at the creative process. We will be back next week for another episode of You're On Crack, Mate. Thank you again, show. You are an absolute legend. Thanks, Sean. No problem at all. I have been Sean, and you've been awesome. <laughs>